Hi, I'm Lee Alexander, and thanks for joining me for this episode of Expanded Horizons presented by Scania. I'm a tech culture journalist and a narrative designer, and I joined this Expanded Horizons series to present some short stories and roundtable discussions that tackle some of the more complex questions about the future. We're thinking about smart cities, the future of transit, the impact of automation, and how new collaborations will be key to managing some of these challenges. In this episode, I had the great pleasure of being part of a discussion on the future of cities with futurist Ada Paris and Hawkins Shield and Jean Rose from Scania. We cover a lot of ground, not just about how we'll build smarter cities, but, you know, hopefully smarter societies too. Enjoy! Hi, my name is Ada Paris. I'm a futurist, cultural innovator, board advisor, coach, and artist. I'm really interested in technology at the intersection of identity, culture, economics, and ecosystems. My name is Hakan Schilt, and I'm responsible for Scania's Autonomous Solutions Department. The reason why I work at Scania is because I want to transform the transport industry into that sustainable future. Hi, my name is Jean Rose and I work as a strategic project manager at Scania with a focus on entrepreneurship. Uh, besides Scania, I run a network for female entrepreneurs empowering more women in business and I also coach entrepreneurs. Moving on to like the bigger picture, the smart cities, mm. what do you guys think that means? So to me, uh, when we talk about a city that's smart, it's how can we automate certain functions of civic life, whether that's infrastructure or uh, community information or culture, um, with technology that sort of allows the city itself to intelligently adjust for the people that are in there. Um, what kind of new functionalities are, are coming into urban spaces that change the way that we interact there? And, and, and yeah, what is emerging and automated technology doing to sort of support new ways of living in, in public space? That's what I think. I think she's answered it for all of us. I think I would add to that that it's also about the augmentation mm -hmm. of technology. So how can technology help to make our lives smarter? So yes, on one hand, you know, we were talking about dumb technology and smart technology. So we have the smart technology, but also how can we use this to augment and help people navigate their way through cities, you know, um, have better lives, have, have more control over their lives and more decision-making around how they navigate. Right, so it's not just about um, intelligent improvements to infrastructure, it's how can we communicate with people about that infrastructure, give them the best information, responding naturally to their needs at that time. Mm. I also think we should really talking about the smart society, not just a smart city, because yeah. this is everything we mentioned as the definition of a smart city is really applicable to every, everywhere, mm. even the rural areas, etc. Things will be connected. It will be integrated, etc. So future of cities, future of future society. Of, future mm -hmm. of society. Mm -hmm. uh, it's not limited to only cities. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Whereas probably it might start earlier in a city compared to an, a rural area, mm -hmm. but still. Um, we, should, we should talk about the society, yeah. the smart society. And I think, to your point, it's, that's because it's about the infrastructure is already there, mm. or it's easier to put the infrastructure in True. to be able to navigate and to be able to 
build up on, t on top of that. And what happens then when we start to look at rural communities mm -hmm. who are still part of society, yep. but actually they're slightly disconnected. Mm -hmm. But it also, with the introduction of autonomous, for example, in, yep. the, in the rural areas, it will be possible to run public transport mm -hmm. because of the cost decrease. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Today, it's not, not economically viable because of the population density mm -hmm. being too low. Mm -hmm. So you don't have enough customers. Yeah. That's why you have one bus leaving in the morning and one in the afternoon, yeah. for example. <laughs> and you need a pretty big bus and you need to batch people together. But mm -hmm. once you introduce autonomous, you could mm -hmm. be running smaller buses, maybe two or three in the morning. Back to your point about access and how it, it's the, some of the some of what we you know want to achieve here through this future vision of technology is just increasing access, increasing opportunity, reducing friction, and therefore more equal spread of resources, whether you're in a city or in a in a rural environment. Yeah. And that's impacting people's sense of freedom. Yeah. So people, it's, it becomes very relative to that person. Of now I have more access, I'm able to actually get out and going back to our original conversation around what is the purpose of transport, mm -hmm. is giving people access to be able to travel yes. yep. and experience different lives. Mm -hmm. But do you find that we're actually going to be able to get to smart cities, cities that are going to mm -hmm. help people connect in the way that we want them to? Or do you think there's like a other side to it if we do actually create the technology that connects all the different rural areas and all that kind of stuff. I worry a little bit. Yeah. I worry about the ethics mm -hmm. of it. And again, going back to the previous conversation about who's in control, who's making those decisions. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, we look at the Internet of Things and now when we're talking about smart cities or smart societies, it's the industrial Internet of Things. Yes. It becomes so, so much bigger. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you start to get into the whole geopolitics of who actually has control. Is it governments? Is it companies? Mm -hmm. Where does all that power Google partnership with the Civic Centre. Yeah. <laughs> but I think there's also, I mean, between the city and the rural, you yeah. have the urban and the suburban. Yeah. Mm. And those areas will also have the same, the same transition mm. yeah. happening to them. And everything will become more integrated. Mm. And it, it, will, it will transform within the next... It's starting to happen and we will, it will start to accelerate and be more intense over the next 5, 10, 15 years. Mm. And it will be a long transition because there's also a lot, lot of legacy investments mm -hmm. in various means of transport and various types of infrastructure, which means that we, we are going to continue utilizing a lot of those legacy investments. Yeah, we're not going to get rid of trains and subways because we have green buses. Yeah. It's just going to be how can we have these be part of the same data set? How can we understand you know, the role of one solution in the ecosystem versus another? And how can we adapt a new technology? technology and integrate it into the existing technology to create it a better a better society. But what do you think about, do you think that there, there will be a big lag in terms of a long tail from the development of smart cities going out further and further out to rural communities, given that already in England, you know, there are some locations in the countryside where you can't pick up Wi-Fi. Wi yeah. What do you think the impact will be on, on those rural communities then? I mean, that's a very good question, but at the same time, I feel like that should be something we should be focusing more on. If you look at... Uh, we should be focusing more. We should be focusing yeah. more mm. on... But the ethical ramifications. Yeah. Exactly, because yeah. at the moment, a lot of the stuff that we're talking about is smarter cities and urbanisation. Everyone's talking about how people are moving into bigger cities and like how Stockholm's growing, for instance. And how and is this not yet another gentrification process yeah, wrapped know, up yeah. in a shiny tech industry package? Exactly, yeah, but, but, but can we really assume that everyone wants to move to the city? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, what are the driving forces yeah. for urbanisation? Yes. Mm -hmm. 200 years ago, it was the industrialization. Yeah, exactly. Everyone lived in the rural communities prior mm -hmm. to that. Mm -hmm. And then the industrialization came along. Mm 
Mm. But what will be the driving forces? Will there be driving forces exactly. moving to the cities? Mm. Or will the cities be unattractive mm. as a living environment? Well, let's talk about other ways that this sort of happens from a tech angle other than transportation. What are the other ways we're talking about urbanizing through technology? Could this be, um, we were talking earlier about how we're seeing, you know, when we spoke about collaboration, we're talking about multi-purpose people, you know, coalescing around shared skills um, and this is leading to facilities that are designed to be live-in workspaces or we're in a space right now which is a multi-purpose creative space and as we see more of those um, is this, as, as you suggested earlier Ada, increasing the siloization of people if you're going to be with like-minded people in your you know, multi-purpose we work slash creative Instagram shed you know what I mean? Like, when I think of like, you know, when I think of like the dystopian vision of the smart future, it's like I'm an Instagram influencer. I live in my high rise. I get up. I work in my home workstation with the remote tools, and then I go down and take pictures in the multi-purpose Instagram room, so I can. And show I'm them. only living and sharing with people who think like, like me. me. Yes. Think like me. Have the same experiences like me. What does that? do to yes. the future of society if everybody's more, in a bubble. Yes, and when we have more freedom to select and when data is tailoring our experience of our yeah. city or our town to, to our needs and our ambitions to that extent, um, does that sort of change the fabric of how we understand community? Yes, I, I think yes, definitely, because if it's those communities, for example, who are building the algorithms, mm -hmm. and the algorithm just learns from the experiences of those mm -hmm. within that community, mm -hmm. how is that then going to impact you know, what's the level of responsibility and power? How is that going to impact decisions and lives and everything for anybody who doesn't live inside of that? It's, it's an inherently biased data set, something that's specific to one urban environment can't possibly sort of broadly translate to every context, do you think? Yeah, I think that conversation kind of reminds me how important it is to go back to who's creating all of this. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. like, if the people are doing the tech behind it, mm -hmm. that means we need to have everyone involved mm -hmm. in creating the uh, technology behind everything, in making the decisions mm -hmm. on, like, a, munici a municipality level, how are we building what, where are we building what, and what are we including in our smart cities, if you want to... But that, yeah. takes, that takes strong ethical leadership yes. and people who are critical thinkers who are yes. not just thinking about the commercial mm -hmm. gains and going back to some of the points earlier the sustainability not just commercially of the business but mm -hmm. also of society mm -hmm. yeah. yeah whether you're doing something that's going to increase the shared resources or yeah. decrease the pool mm -hmm. of, of shared of shared resources um this is kind of an unusual angle but um a few years ago and um, when i was doing some arts and tech journalism at the guardian i profiled an artist called um, Nao Matsuda, naho matsuda and she did um, poetry for smart cities, which was, you know, the normal updates that you would receive from the smart system at your bus station, like the bus is late, the weather is grey, it will be 75 degrees, delays on the green Sounds line. Sounds like Black Mirror. Yeah, yeah, so she basically found a way to take the snippets of information that we're receiving from a smart urban environment and create sort of live ambient poetry to it. So it shows that these spaces can be very expressive um, and it also really raises the question of like, what are we choosing to express and to whom is the goal efficiency is the goal community is it to reverse climate change can we do many of these things at once through infrastructure improvements and that comes back to the purpose yes yeah. again what, what is the purpose why are we doing all of this is it just happening because we see a financial opportunity financial or because we're told in the f by, by futurists that this is where we're going are we doing something to improve the world
Yeah. I mean, Are we creating I, that sustainable, better sorry. future? Oh, sorry. No. I mean, I've been toying with this idea for the last couple of years around the patterns that I'm seeing. Is that it feels like a lot of, especially Western society, are looking for a new religion. Mm. A new, something that is bigger than themselves, mm. that they can connect to, that is based around rituals and belief systems and structures. And you have, and I, I thought, initially thought the idea is linear but it's not, I think it's cyclical. Mm -hmm. That you have people going down the technology route, artificial intelligence will save us, mm. biohacking, becoming cyborgs, mm. all these things. You also have people going down the slight mysticism, the yeah. spirituality route mm. of, you know, these are things that are bigger than us. Right. Now we used to have the cyberpunks who were few individuals scattered around who were in their own little echo chambers, but yeah. they had this idea of the, the world that they wanted to create. Or the world that they were afraid of, yeah. too. Yeah. yeah, who would be... They raised a lot of questions of what are the marquee, what brands are going to be on yeah. this glorious... Mm -hmm. Who owns the future is a yeah. good question. And I think that what's ha what I'm seeing now is that the different types of technology have become commoditized, mm -hmm. that everybody has access to them. Everybody's a storyteller, everybody's a designer. Yeah. And so there is this... There seems to be this groundswell of people looking for something bigger than themselves. And my question is that how can we harness this collective intelligence, mm -hmm. you know, this divine, if we're looking at religion, this divine intelligence that comes from wherever, mm -hmm. to actually work together to try and change and create the futures that we want that are long-term. Yeah. And to me, that sort of comes from approaching, the, approaching society from two angles of study. One is a data-oriented perspective, and we look at how crowds move and how they interact, and one is a culture and intuition-oriented perspective. You know, to your point about ritual, there is a professor in Geneva called Nicola Nova, who has done a lot of work work on ritual in the mysterious little black boxes that we carry around in our pocket all the time and has observed like you know there's things that we will do with our phone that are superstitious like waving it to get signal that doesn't do anything <laughs> imagine if like so so he posited this professor posited like if aliens could come and see us interacting and why are they doing this and why are they thumbing this screen every time they feel anxious as if it were a rosary and so you know so those are uses of tech that don't have a data explanation that they are just about human quirks and foibles. And sometimes, you know, the route you take home will not be the most efficient route. It will be the most scenic route. And, you know, you want to be closer to people who are similar to you, even if it's not on the way to work. And, and so, so we can use a data science approach to understand um, people, the way we move through cities. And then also understanding that need for faith, for community, yeah. for ritual, and that we do all those things in our, in our, in our living spaces and in our cities and in our towns now is, is being mitigated through technology. Yeah. Mm. I think there definitely needs to be a, a neuroscience approach yeah. to understanding the future of cities, mm. you know, and smart cities, because we're not, we're not robots. Well, although some people, you know, yeah, the, the way that, <laughs> but the way that some people have an addiction to certain technologies, yeah. you know, we are in a sense becoming robots. Yeah. But I think that if we are going to talk about future smart societies, not mm. just smart cities, mm. we have to take on those nuances of the human condition of how we operate and how we move. Mm. But I think also the whole point of what you're saying, like how we operate and how we move, looking at not only how smart we move, but also how sustainable are we yeah. in our yeah. move? And what can we do with the space we have? Exactly. We've been talking about vertical gardens and urban farming mm. earlier. Is that something that you all have thought about? 
as in the sustainability I mean, equation? I've just noticed a lot more, you know, in the new areas where they're building new houses and they're all like super futuristic, mm -hmm. you're noticing a lot more greenery in those areas. So where I grew up, we had like, I grew up in the south of Sweden mm -hmm. and it's really scenic, like loads of forests and all of that is gone pretty much. Mm -hmm. But now people are kind of putting that into the cities, mm -hmm. having like a little patch of greenery, just think, I don't know why that is, but it's quite interesting to see the difference. As you were saying that, I was thinking Miami. Yeah. <laughs> I was thinking Miami, you know, it's kind of... Swampland, green, yeah, pouring... Reclaiming things yeah. that, you know, we are... We have been responsible for destroying yeah. a lot of the natural environment and we build up these cities, or, you know, we build up these cities and mm -hmm. instead of going, you know, out, we're going up yeah. and on top of each other and, you know, people starting to talk about flying cars, I, don't, I mean, the Jetsons, I, <laughs> yeah. I have no idea, but drones and all these different things mm -hmm. and then suddenly we're going, okay, Oh, sugar, we've forgotten about grass. We need, yeah. we need, we need, we need green. <laughs> we need green. I mean, psychologically, you were talking about, you know, a, a brain, a brain chemistry approach. Like, it's shown that we need bird song. To, like, human beings have a deep response to not hearing birds. We think it yeah. means yeah. danger. So, yeah. that brings me back to that question. I mean, what is driving urbanization? Because mm -hmm. once we urbanize, it seems like we want to bring nature to city. Exactly. Yeah. So, what about if we can bring people from the city to mm -hmm. the nature instead, but mm -hmm. still have the benefits of the smart? Society. Yeah, we keep thinking this is going to be urbanization, everyone going to the city, exactly. but maybe we have the infrastructure to enable us to live sustainably outside cities. Most yeah. of us, you know, most of us choose living in cities because it's like, you know, the expensive and unlivable option that enables us to access world-class opportunities. Yeah. Yeah. If I could still function as a professional and live in a beautiful remote area with a close community, I think I would prefer that. Yeah. But I think that's why we have the rise of digital nomads, mm. you know, yeah. people who are choosing opting out of living in a particular city yeah. to live this quite transient life because mm. they want to sit on the beach in Bali and have good Wi-Fi and be able to, you know, crash, mm. log on. <laughs> they want, the, they want, they, there is this inherent human desire to be in nature. Oh, yeah, my friend Arikia is one of those. I bet you know her. <laughs> no, but I think that balance, but also, I mean, sitting alone in nature, most yeah. people well, would get sick after a while. Mm. So it's still the interaction of yeah. other people. Yeah. And, and, but at the same time, in a city, when it's overpopulated, mm. it becomes frustrating mm. at the yeah. same time. So I think being able to, to have the best of everything, yes. and I think technology can help us there. Mm. So that's why I think, I mean, we should be talking about the smart society, because mm -hmm. it will not just be in the city. Yeah. It will be the entire society, and it will be, there will be Wi-Fi mm. uh, yeah. connection where, where you need it. And, and uh, where those people. Yeah, and so and doesn't that mean that the, even if we're more connected, we will need human beings more and more? We're talking about all of the opportunities that being more connected will give people. But you know, people at less degrees of tech literacy than ourselves, perhaps people with less degrees of economic sustainability than myself or, or someone else might have. Like, how do we also make their lives better? And I think there will probably need to be some human ingenuity in there, bridging the gap and not just operating only on database assumptions. We're going to need to have you know ambassadors of this new form of urbanization mm -hmm. to come and help sort of responsibly integrate technologies to areas where they're needed so that, you know, it's not a disruption to a community and there's not a skills gap and we're not forcing others to meet 
to meet us here in the in the rarefied halls of the future tech world where we are. You know how you know we're in the service of the people, um, both within and outside of the city. And for that, we need new political structures. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to go too far, but we do need new political structures yes. because helping people to understand the impact of te of what politics is from mm. a bottom up, mm. that every decision you make is political. Mm. Whether you choose to have, you know, this, this particular nail varnish, brand of nail varnish, mm. whatever, mm. is a political one. Mm. And I think that when we're starting to think about, you know, smart societies, mm. we're going to need new fundamental structures and education systems and all of these things. And it goes back to the idea of collaboration. Mm -hmm. well, which means that we need to redefine the way society is built up. Mm. Yeah. From a political viewpoint, yes, yeah. from a welfare yeah. point viewpoint, taxation viewpoint, mm -hmm. when more and more becomes automated. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, our taxation system today is based on taxation of humans, mm -hmm. human labor. Yeah. Uh, Rather whereas, than businesses. But that's a, yeah. that's a fairly recent invention. Mm. Uh, prior to that, we actually used to have an asset-based taxation system. Mm. And perhaps we need to go back to an asset-based mm. taxation system mm. instead. Those are questions that need to be discussed. There, you know, there are a lot of technology companies out there. Um, and to start with this you know, human-first approach and purpose-first approach, and you know, we may not be able to achieve our humanitarian technology goals within the existing infrastructure. You know, I think that's a bold and, and a leadership-oriented thing for a technology maker to be able to say today. And, and I think, you know, my line of work would be more e would be easier if we could hear more people with respons responsibility in this ecosystem talk more candidly about the ethics. Mm -hmm. I think I can speak from Scania's point of view, like what we do. And one of the things that we're doing now is basically we've set up a part of the organization that purely works on sustainable city solutions. And obviously just that title in itself says that we can't do it on our own. Yeah. So we've had to find a way to how can we work with uh, our governments and all everyone else around that has an input into this. I know probably a lot more than we do in terms mm -hmm. of how the city moves and what happens because we're a huge contributor mm -hmm. to like the transport, the movement of people, yeah. and the climate change and all that kind well, of stuff. Well, the economics of everything. Everything, We've yeah. been talking about a lot of things that's going to happen mm, later yeah. on, 10, yeah. maybe 15, 20 years ahead, but there's still problems today. Yeah. yeah. In, in, in society, you need to go to, to daycare, you need to go to yeah. work, you need yeah. to go to visit your friends, etc. And we need to adopt the new technology into those uh, problems and, yeah. and solve those problems here mm. as soon as possible, both mm. from a sustainability point of view, mm. but also from the technology in creating that better, smarter society. Yeah, and for me, it definitely feels like things have. So, I, you know, I moved to New York in 2002, and, and I lived in London for five years. And like for me, during the time that I've spent in cities, I feel access and infrastructure have worsened because the demand on the system has increased without, and the at the pace at which technology solutions are applied is slow. Um, a lot of this is because transit is, is uh, you know, a bunch of squabbling uh, privately owned corporations and whether to, you know, whether to publicize or privatize is a question in every city that you go to and it's, it's all handled, handled in different ways. Like, to what extent is this sort of like a, you know, a, an interpersonal and cultural challenge bringing new technologies to some of these challenges? I think it's all to do with relationships. Mm -hmm. I think it's all interpersonal. Um, I think that... You know, the brave, smart organisations are the ones who are saying we don't know, yeah. but we're going to put our money where our mouth is and actually start to do some research mm -hmm. and ask questions and not think that we've only got the best people in, internally in our organisation. We have to go outside and we have to ask questions mm -hmm. and we have to investigate. Mm -hmm. 
And, and that's something you've been working on as well, right? Bringing folks within your own organization and sort of enabling and empowering them to have a more democratic range of skills and sort of enabling people from individual disciplines to become problem solvers across larger yeah. disciplines, right? Can you yeah. talk about... Absolutely. I think that's one of the things that when I joined the company, I was like, to be honest, I was like, <laughs> not sure if this is the kind of company I want to work for because <laughs> I realized that, okay, what does it do to the climate and all that kind mm. of stuff? But when you start realizing that I actually have a say mm. and yeah. I can do something to change uh, the way we work and also my passion is with people, like how can I empower more people? So that's one of the things I get to work with, which I absolutely love now and just using everyone's talents in the best possible way and also realizing that we, we were talking about that earlier like we have skill sets that mm -hmm. might be underutilized mm -hmm. so how can we use everyone across the entire company mm -hmm. to come up with new ideas yeah. that will revolutionize the transport system mm -hmm. the like the entire society essentially like that's what we're trying to do which is really really how fun. can we sustainably use every part of a person exactly <laughs> every single part yeah. that's yeah. the interpersonal bit because mm. we are putting the trust and respect mm. into we are empowering people by showing them that mm. we trust and respect mm. and value exactly. their contribution. Mm. And that's where, you know, innovation starts to happen yeah. from the bottom up. And in this ladder-based model, it used to be like, I have a skill, I get to level two at this skill, yeah. I get to level three, and then I'm a manager at this skill. And yeah, now exactly. we have this thing where it's like, well, at level two, then maybe you can branch out laterally into yeah. these other yeah. skill trees. And then maybe, you know, rather than being asked to specialize in one thing, you, you're a value-add if you can sort of look through the lens of that specialty mm -hmm. yeah. and apply it to other challenges. And I think that just realized like that's kind of a realization that we're human yeah. and we change yeah. literally every day so if i realize tomorrow that oh do you know what i'm really good at drawing i should be able to draw if i want <laughs> and i think a lot of people think that and like the barrier to entry for new skills is lower because of technology yeah. for yeah. example like you know something that you would have to go and take lessons using a mechanic like because of art software there's a new way in for someone who doesn't necessarily have a mechanical artistic ability yeah, exactly. can also learn to design and create things that are appropriate to their, you know, interest in their self-expression. Mm. I think that that's going back to the previous point about what happens with the people who've been inside the organisation for years, who yeah. have a certain experience, who've been trained and working in a particular job. Mm. How do? We, what's the responsibility if we're talking about what happens now? Mm. What's the responsibility of an organisation not to have just have this future proof in? We're going to. This is what's going to happen in five years. Mm. Exactly. How can we help bring those people along now? Mm. And how can we make help make their lives better mm. and introduce and integrate the technology? and the ideas as part of that whole process. And I think that's about creating that purpose, that yeah. vision. Mm -hmm. What is the problem to be solved? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And once you start defining that yeah. and then, then and, and combine that with leadership yep. yeah. and then you have those followers, mm -hmm. then if you take an engineer, that's, an engineer is a problem solver. Yeah. Today, an engineer is, is solving diesel performance in a combustion engine fuel saving, etc. We have a lot of engineers doing that. But in reality, those engineers are problem solvers. Mm -hmm. So if we redefine the problem mm -hmm. to a different problem, then it's easier. Well, I would, I would say, I would challenge that and say yeah. everybody's a problem solver. Yeah. Yes. Um, engineers are a particular type of problem solver yes. and they have a particular skill set. Yeah. But I think that sometimes organisations undervalue the fact yeah. that everybody is a problem solver. Yeah. So I don't believe that one person should have no, the title no, no. innovation. No. I think it's everybody's role. And if you want to create an ethical culture of innovation, mm. then you should be able to encourage people mm. to bring their ideas to the table mm. because they're the ones working on the front line mm. who may have created their own shortcuts. Mm. 
from from pro so innovation isn't just the end result of the process; it's the process itself, yep. and that's actually something that you were talking about that you look to apply technologies internally before you try to do them in your product design. Mm. Yeah. But also, I think it, just taking it a step further than innovation, we talk about entrepreneurial muscle, like the entrepreneurial talent. What What does entrepreneurial mean to you? Entrepreneurial for me is like if you combine innovation but with the business side. Okay. So like. Entrepreneurship is all about problem solving. Like yeah. you can't have the business unless you're solving a problem for a customer. Mm -hmm. So you always have that focus in mind. So imagining the future of cities is particularly um, interesting. And uh, so I was recently invited to take part in an artistic exhibition in Athens with some futurists and some local Greek artists about like what would the city. Uh, the future of the city of Athens look like. And to sort of start doing that process, we looked at the history of the city. Now, being one of the oldest cities ever, you know, Athens was made without an, ur an urban plan. And that infrastructure still exists today. It's not designed like any other city that you, you would use urban planning and things like that. Um, uh, that's one thing. Another aspect in how the city was built was its cultural origins. You would live with your wife's family and things like that. So you know, that shaped the way homes were built. Mm -hmm. And that legacy of culture and infrastructure still drives how people use that city today. And so when we started doing a futurist imagining of Athens, we were like, well, what are we going to do with these unplanned buildings and this strong sense of home and what would that look like in the future um, when we think about London for example what are our the high street the local you know the pub you know what I mean and it's like what what are the cultural values of cities that sort of uh, imagine you know imagine us into the future so like when you think about your city you know what what are the sort of important functions there and how would you sort of imagine them a future version of that so in Stockholm, you obviously have the city centre, but when you look at the transport system, so you have all the underground lines going through the city centre, which obviously makes sense if you're going abroad or you're travelling like further or whatever, but it doesn't encourage people to move around the city centre. Mm. You have to go through to then change to go mm. to the west or to the east or wherever it is, which... And I think for me, the future cities would allow people to be more free in their mm. movement. Mm. So if I want to go from the south to the north, I should be able to do that easily without going through the city centre. So could that mean sort of taking some of those central hubs and making them above ground more accessible so that you still have that centralised location of commerce and socialisation, yeah. but it doesn't require you to have so many pinch points? Is that sort of I mean, a... that could be one way, definitely. Uh... But I, th I think that's part of what you mentioned as the legacy. I mean, when Stockholm was 100 years ago, it was quite yeah. a small city, and then, or 150 years ago, and then we introduced trains, because that was the technology, the steam and coal transport system. Mm -hmm. And then we introduced that, which meant that some people could move away from the city centre mm. to the suburban areas, mm. and then they become a, the, the spoke, the hub and the spoke system. Mm. And that's, that's where the legacy comes in, and that puts a lot of limitations. It's yeah. difficult to go from one suburban area to another one. Mm. And that's where we use the passenger car today. Mm. And that's, that's a problem that we need to solve because all the train lines, all the trunk, all the feeding mm. goes towards the city centre. Okay. So in light of that, what, what could the future problem solving around that start to look like? Mm. I think we have to start with the, the sustainable society. Mm. It needs to be sustainable living conditions. Mm. And historically, cities have not been very sustainable. Mm. So that should be first of the agenda. And then we should provide transport, both people transport and goods transport, mm. to the needs of the people that are in there. Mm. And with the introduction, in, in this technology shift that's happening with autonomous, connected and electrified, 
it will enable a different type of transport system, as mm. I, we mentioned before. Buses will become smaller, which means that they can operate um, uh, in a more frequent, more direct uh, situation. They can, they can operate where the population density mm. is lower, which means that public transport becomes a viable option mm. to, to the passenger car. Mm. And also, I mean, today, a lot of people, historically, we went to the city to buy goods mm. or trade goods. And then in the last 50 years, we created malls outside, mm -hmm. shopping centers outside. And now we go outside the city to shop. Mm -hmm. But in more recent 10, 15 years, we started moving into e-commerce, which means that the goods are coming to us. We mm -hmm. can have the same shopping experience independent of where we are, mm -hmm. in the countryside, sitting by the sea, mm -hmm. or in the middle of the city. Mm -hmm. But 25 years ago, we needed to go to, into the city to mm -hmm. buy the latest goods. I think that for me, um, a part of it is we need to look back through history. Mm -hmm. So you talked about Greece. Mm -hmm. But actually there's older civilizations oh, sure. who had these networks and systems that we don't understand now. Mm. And I think that looking at, there are, I still think there are lessons to be learned about how they navigated the cities. Mm -hmm. Because um, a few years ago, I was actually gonna do a, an art project um, that we wanted to take to Burning Man, which was about the spirit of cities. Mm -hmm. but the spirit of cities are the people mm -hmm. and the way that they move around the cities and the way that they navigate where are the markets and all of these things. And I think then that's when you start to look at transportation mm -hmm. uh, systems. So is the city based around education or is mm -hmm. it a market town or is it all these different things? But I think that there are lessons to be learned from history and old civilizations about the way that they navigated all of this mm -hmm. for us to then start to look at, because I I think that everything goes in cycles. Mm. There's no real new ideas, it's just the old problems coming up again. And rather than trying to reinvent the wheel sometimes, I think that we can take a blueprint from, mm. from things that have happened before. Mm. And we're just using, you know, using old ideas, old problems with new emergent technologies mm. and using those technologies to, to develop and to build and to grow. So can you imagine sort of, you know, project forward in your mind, like think of a city where you're familiar with the history and then kind of project forward and see what it would, try to imagine what it would look like if it were to, to follow that through line from the past. Looking into the future, the only thing you're really sure about is that you're wrong about a lot of things. Excuse me, so. I'm not wrong. <laughs> I'm a futurist. <laughs> so you're, you're used to being wrong. Oh, yeah, no, I mean, I, I, that's a joke about being a futurist, is that, you know, what, what, one thing we've kept coming back to as we speak among ourselves is that the only thing we can be sure of is that we don't know what's coming, yeah. and we've got to spread our bets but in order to prepare. <laughs> but let's, let's imagine. Yes. But I think that we also need to be able to have access and merge with other cultures yeah. because I don't think it's I don't no, think it's so right either that isolation is right. It goes mm -hmm. back to the ideas of silos and all of things. I don't think that's right. Mm -hmm. But I think that there it, there are we're missing a trick mm -hmm. by learning from the civilizations and the cultures that are part of that very infrastructure. Mm -hmm. Going back to what you were saying about companies should be built by the people and for the people and the technology comes in to help them design that. Mm -hmm. And then the transportation system mm -hmm. is based on their needs, not which is about potential and not about commercialization. Mm -hmm. So it's not just we're going to do that, and this is maybe it's a utopian idea, but it's not just about we're going to get you from 
from home to work in the quickest way possible. Mm. They're going to have a fulfilling arc yeah. from here to there. Yeah. We're going to create an ecosystem around your existing movements. Yeah. And mm. yeah. So when I think about sort of a future city, I sort of obviously selfishly imagine it from a perspective of what would meet all of my needs. So I have like a degree of, you have a di I have a diverse range of skills that I use across a number of different freelance jobs. I'm self-employed. I work from home. So for me, I imagine some like fabulous arcology mm. where all my needs are met and like-minded people are there to collaborate with me and my nutrition is there, my gym is there. But, you know, that contributes to that, you know, if I were to have my way, I would only be surrounded by like-minded individuals in my, you know, arcology for creatives. And that does that really sort of equip me to participate in the infrastructure to be a global citizen? So it, it, it chal it's challenging, right? Because we can't think of any kind of infrastructure or architectural format that's going to meet all needs because we're not, yeah. we don't all have the same needs. But we need to include everyone yeah. Yeah. Yes. into it. And when I look at the transport system today, I can see that large, large parts of the population are not part of the transport system. Mm -hmm. My children, who are in the age of 8 and 11, mm -hmm. uh, and also older people, yeah. they are not part, uh, or disabled people, mm -hmm. etc. They, they are not very well included no. in that society's transport system. Yeah. And I think that's, that's a key element, and it actually makes it autonomous vehicles will be able to provide transport to my children or to my grandparents, etc., mm -hmm. and, and the disabled, mm -hmm. which means that we will add mobility yes. to yeah. where we have restrictions today, because I am the transportation need <laughs> of my children today, and I would be very happy to not always be the transportation solution. Yeah. Well, well, but it but is true that the problems is. that we want to solve through futurism are personal, and yes, it, that, exactly. that is what yeah. we have to think about when we're imagining cities. Yeah. Like, what about a person Personal problem for you? How could yeah. like imagine a dream future city, city that would solve one for you? I mean, the one thing that I was thinking about while you guys were discussing was when I grew up way back in the days. I grew up like in a community, in a mm. small community, in apartment buildings, and it was just amazing how you could, as a kid, just go out, feel safe. Yeah. You have the nature, and you can like knock on everyone's door, and you can speak to pretty much anyone, regardless of who they are. But now that I live in the city, mm -hmm. you don't talk to anyone. Yeah. And like, if you're, if I'm going to my sister who lives on the other side of town, it literally takes me an hour. Just the fact that I can't be social to the extent that I want to be mm -hmm. when I want to mm -hmm. be. Mm -hmm. So I think like the social and the community part of things would be an ideal dream. I, I would add food to that. Yeah, mm -hmm. I would add food, food because yeah, because I grew up in London and we used to, you know, we used to go to the market. And we used to, mum taught us how to, you know, to oh. choose our food and choose, you know, this is how you know this is a really good apple and we'll smell it and all of yeah. these things, you know, we'll go to the butchers or wherever. Mm. Whereas now everything's packed, in, you know, wrapped in plastic. And there's no, you know, I've been on the waiting list for an allotment mm. in my area nearly 20 years. Wow. wow. Nearly 20 years for a little patch of grass so that I can grow my own stuff. And I think that that's an important aspect of cities when we're thinking about future cities and future societies. Mm. I had a conversation with somebody a while ago who didn't realise that sausages and bacon is the same animal. <laughs> wow. Because we don't have the, we don't have the provenance, because the food industry is different. Yeah, the and I think that food. when we're thinking about future societies, we need to think about food and education mm. and all these things that need to be integral as part of that. Yeah, and, and use of space is a huge part of that. We keep talking about vertical gardens. Like, if we use... Look at all the vertical space we can just see out the window yeah. here. Maybe you could have your allotment in a building that was sort of architecturally designed to give, to give more outdoor space. And people are using tech to do that. You know, I, I went into... There's a, a future home building 
um, that a friend used to run, and you go in and they have plants that are, you know, essentially watered by technology. Mm -hmm. Take some of the beauty out of it for me, mm -hmm. and that, you know, but the fact that you can live in, in a building and grow some of your own mm -hmm. stuff, it's still very... It's still very isolating mm. because to me, food is communal. Communal, yeah. And that, that is another way of building a sense of community mm -hmm. is that I love when people cook together or eat together. You know, there's this real sense of bringing people together because mm. we spoke about the fact that, you know, living in... Some people choose to live in the countryside or the urban yeah. environments because they want nature, but that's yeah. also lonely. Mm. You still have people living in cities who are really lonely. More than ever, yeah. perhaps. Like, you know, getting around London with the public transit as, as it is now, it's just like it's everything's an hour apart from everywhere else. It's yeah. always so crowded. You're underground so often you can't even use the phone. Yeah. And it's like, you know, I'm paying, you know, top-of-the-line rents to be in the middle of everybody, everything, but I spend a lot of my time with, with headphones alone. Yeah. So we've just finished talking about, you know, starting to look a little bit deeper into the purpose of transportation and that it's a longer term, it's a longer tail to that. So a lot of this happens in the supply chain, uh, you know, before anything gets into the cities. And I'm quite curious about what is Scania's purpose? Why are they doing, why are they taking an interest in this area now? I think uh, one of the things that, from my perspective, that we see is that not just our industry, but like the entire society is changing and will continue to change. And we're such a huge part of it, mm -hmm. there's no way we can't be a part of it. Mm -hmm. So our only role is basically figuring out what can we do to make the society better and also where is our role going to be in the future. If we're not creating trucks because the flows are going to change, mm -hmm. what are we going to be doing in terms of technology? Are we going to be a software company? Are we going to be doing both? And like, how does that affect the people, the society? and technology, essentially. And given yeah. your role... Yeah, I think we... I mean, the first thing is that we, we have to acknowledge the fact that we are mm -hmm. part of a transport system. Mm -hmm. That's not very good. We are one of the bigger players yeah. in this one. And um, it's a transport system that's been created over the last 50 or 100 years. Mm -hmm. And we need to... We need to be part of the solution mm -hmm. of creating that future sustainable transport system. Mm -hmm. And it's possible already now to start that journey. Mm -hmm. And that's, that, that provides the purpose and the clarity and the direction uh, for Scania going forward. We, we want to create that, that perfect or that better, improved, let's put it like that, transport system. That's not polluting, that's not destroying mm -hmm. the planet. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think that's crucial to be part of the solution. Mm. And what motivates you then, in terms of your own personal role and your mm. own personal drive? For me? Yeah. It's, it is that. It is, I'm, uh, I found my purpose in Scania uh, quite some time ago to transform the transport industry. Okay. I want to be part of that machinery that's transforming it. Because the transport system I inherited from, from my parents' generation mm -hmm. or previous generations it's a shitty, dirty, inefficient, bad transport system. It has served its purpose. And I want to, when I retire, I want to be able to tell my children that I was part of transforming it into a sustainable transport system. That's my purpose. That's the reason why I work for Scania.
Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed that discussion. If it's piqued your curiosity, you might enjoy my short story, Heroes. It's about a digital artist who finds new inspiration by looking for the personalities behind the tech. You can continue listening here or visit the Scania website to discover more stories, films, and big thinking from the Expanded Horizons podcast series. Search scania.com slash future room.